This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Hope you're enjoying your summer thus far. Uh, we certainly are. We're trying to make every minute count. Uh, earlier this week, I took the boys uh, to see the Moody Blues uh, perform their 1967 opus, Days of Future Past, and they were accompanied by a fabulous uh, full orchestra. Uh, this is the, the 50th anniversary of a lot of great classic rock albums, and uh, we're kind of in a race against time uh, to see as many of these bands as we can before they uh, they hang it up for good. All right, let's get down to business. Our panel tonight, Alicia Powell from WND and Joel Skousen from World Affairs Brief are standing by to discuss North Korea and uh, whether the U.S. should keep the nuclear option on the table. Of course, uh, they recently launched an intercontinental ballistic missile, their first, and uh, Kim Jong-un uh, is um, boasting, bragging that uh, they can now reach anywhere in the world with a nuclear warhead. Uh, then the ethical, legal, and social issues arriving from tremendous advances in the biosciences, namely designer babies. Hank Greeley will join us. He's a professor of law focusing on genetics at Stanford University. And uh, he says that within 30 years, we will no longer have sex to procreate. It'll all be done in a lab using gene splicing and so forth. It's scary stuff. Starting to sound a little Hitlerian to me. Uh, what's in the box, of course, our weekly remote viewing experiment, mailbag. Uh, then, how to avoid genetically modified organisms. Jeffrey Smith, the author of Seeds of Deception, will be here. Uh, some big news as well uh, regarding Monsanto and a, um, and a uh, decision by the state of California. We'll share that with you. Our two open lines and then our paranormal investigator, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, will be here with a look at some strange and weird stories in the news. Rob Lowe, actor Rob Lowe, recently had an encounter, he says, with Bigfoot. We'll also uh, go into the archives and um, dust off an interesting story. Uh, a Soviet 
circus clown who tried to prove that dogs are psychic. We'll discuss that with Rosemary as well. All right, until then, let's say hi to the boys in the band on the Gibson Flying V guitar, my technical producer, Ian Robertson. Good evening, Ian. Uh, On the other uh, side of the uh, glass. And uh, here in studio on the Rickenbacker bass guitar and occasionally the theremin, my story producer, Albert Vinzel. And uh, on the Hammond B3, feature producer, Ryan White. Now, just ahead of the panel, uh, let's see if any of you skilled remote viewers out there can tell me what's in the box. Now, here are your coordinates. To my left is a large cigar box. It's sitting on the desk here in the studio at Zoomer Radio, 70 Jefferson Avenue in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. All right, those are your coordinates. Now, allow the shape and the texture and the size and the color of the object to form in your mind. Now, don't guess. Don't think. Let it come to you. All right, tweet me your answers at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T, at Richard Serrett. Use the hashtag TCS Remote, TCS as in the conspiracy show, Remote. Hashtag TCS Remote. The winner will receive some fabulous uh, conspiracy show merchandise. And if you don't win, let me uh, encourage you to visit the online store at theconspiracyshow.com. If you're a fan of the show, why not to show it off and, and buy a, a mug or a T-shirt or a phone case and help support our work at the same time? Again, the online store is at theconspiracyshow.com. Uh, last Tuesday... It was confirmed that the rogue Stalinist state of North Korea had fired an intercontinental intercontinental ballistic missile. The North Korea state-run Korean Central News Agency said its new intercontinental ballistic missile, the Hwasong-14, was capable of hitting the heart of the United States with large, heavy nuclear warheads. The launch, according to the agency, successfully tested the functions of the missile's two propulsive stages and the warhead's ability to endure the intense heat and vibrations as it entered the Earth's atmosphere. Wednesday morning, North Korea's leader Kim Jong-un taunted the United States, saying the launch was a 4th of July gift to the Trump administration. And of course, predictably, the U.S. administration followed up that warning on Wednesday morning with a joint military exercise in which the United States and South Korean forces fired ballistic missiles in the waters along the Korean peninsula's east coast. And the U.S. administration also made it clear to Pyongyang that the United States would use, quote, the full range of capabilities at our disposal against the growing threat. Question, should that full range of capabilities include the nuclear option? Joel Skousen is the publisher of the World Affairs Brief, a weekly news analysis service. Joel, welcome once again to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm just fine, thank you. It's good to be with you, Richard. Likewise. And Alicia Pow is a political reporter with WorldNet Daily. She's written for numerous outlets, including Human Events, Media Research Center, Town Hall. She worked in the war room of the Rudy Giuliani Presidential Committee and served as a White House intern during the George W. Bush administration. Alicia Pow, welcome to you once again. How are you? Hi, thank you for having me again. My pleasure. Let's start with you, Joel. How close is North Korea from having the capability to deliver nuclear warheads to North America? Well, no one really knows because the uh, the nuclear tests that they performed so far have been very muted, uh, either indicating extreme masking or um, 
insufficient power uh, in terms of uh, detonation. Uh, and they've never taken a warhead downrange, uh, an indication of uh, the power of a missile to lift a heavy warhead. And by the way, the missile that was uh, launched there, the so-called intercontinental ballistic missile, was really only an intermediate-range missile with two stages. It takes three to get uh, true international range uh, to where North Korea is saying it should reach to. Alicia, is the time for talk over with North Korea? We had eight years of... Uh, well, even prior to that, with uh, the, with the Clinton administration, a lot of talk. We, you know, Dennis Rodman would pop over there occasionally. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what good that did. Uh, is is there any room now for negotiation, or does the United States basically have to respond to the next test firing militarily? There, this is an, an, a problem that if we don't, we're going to have to do something. We're going to have to go to war because it's basically inevitable that a country that tortures its own people and in and, and ways that, you know, are, are unimaginable, you know, of course, it's, it's a cancer for the earth and it's eventually, you know, gonna, they're, they're going to attack us if we don't aggressively address the situation. So negotiation, what do you, you can't negotiate with communists. Um, all right, we have. My, well, my toddler is walked in the door. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, Joel. I mean, our, our our trade sanctions. I mean, have they have they been used to their fullest extent, really, at this point? Uh, no, they have not, because China basically has uh, has always allowed those trade sanctions to be bypassed, both in banking, both in trade, and of course in the secret military uh, technology, which North Korea has also bought parts from. Uh, Western sources as well, though they aren't specific parts to a rocket, but there have been Western parts in rockets that have been found in the sea. Well, 90% of, of the goods, my understanding, is 90% of the goods that, that North Korea requires to operate essentially comes through, through China. They've choked off their oil supply. Um, so, I mean, is rather than uh, um, Alicia was indicating that uh, some sort of a military preemptive is inevitable here and we're in a race against time, do you see it that way or do you still think that we can, if trade sanctions are put in place, uh, really stringent trade sanctions, that that could still have an effect? I don't believe that sanctions will work because uh, we have no way of verifying if China is in fact choking off all supplies or secretly supplying as they have done in the past. You've got to remember that North Korea is has been prepared for many years to be the trigger event of World War III, and that's why China has allowed uh, the appearance of a crazy man to be in charge. I mean, what better excuse to start World War III than a crazy man? It's not our fault. It's that crazy man, Kim Jong-un, we tried to rein him in. But, you know, that's just not true. I mean, they uh, they are trying, I will say, since the Trump administration uh, has threatened uh, military action against uh, North Korea, which uh, none of the globalist presidents, George W. Bush or Barack Obama, would have done. They always played patsy with North Korea. They always looked the other way uh, compared to Iran, who doesn't even have a nuclear weapon and who has uh, received many, many more threats uh, than North Korea. Um, but uh, this is the problem that the globalists are facing, is that Trump, after his hair-trigger reaction to a phony... Uh, intelligence about a chemical attack by Syria, uh, 
in uh, in northern Syria. I mean, it did not happen, and he was uh, lied to by his intelligence. He struck North Korea, or he struck uh, Syria, and he immediately went after North Korea, threatened to do so. And so you've got to remember that China is working overtime to stop the Trump administration. Now, Kim Jong-un has foreclosed any room for negotiation by saying that his missile system and his nuclear program is not negotiable. So what's there to negotiate about? Elise is absolutely right. It's inevitable that we're going to clash with North Korea. We have to take it down. And the sooner, the better, because if you wait, then China and Russia would be ready to come and back up North Korea and use it as the trigger event to uh, create World War III. And they're not ready yet. That's why they're working overtime to stop Trump from um, you know, uh, doing a preemptive strike into North Korea. And I don't believe the nuclear option is on the table for that strike. I think it will be limited to hitting missile sites, fuel uh, manufacturing and fuel depot sites, and perhaps tunnel entrances to their underground nuclear program, uh, trusting that uh, you know, uh, Kim Jong-un may not be ready to go on a full-scale war status in retaliation. Joel Skousen, publisher, editor of World Affairs Brief, Alicia Powell, political reporter with WND. Uh, Alicia, what about the nuclear options? Does that remain on the table, or do you concur with, with Joel, Joel that, uh, that a, a non-nuclear a preemptive strike is, is more likely? Well, you know, I think we're going to have to... We're going to have to bomb, the, bomb this country. There's going to have to be, you know nuclear weapons involved, I mean, you know, there's not really much options here. You talk about George W. Bush and he, his, uh, his constant talk about human freedom, right? And if you look at the globe, the most, the, the most deprived and, and the most inhumane circumstances are taking place in North Korea. Just watch documentaries about what's going on in this country. These people are programmed and deprived of freedom in the mo- and, 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 and ways that aren't really, you know, we can't imagine as Americans and as people who live in a free world. And if we don't do something, so, so if, you, if you care about human life and human freedom, that's one reason why, not just only because North Korea is a threat to us, this needs to be adequately addressed, and it's long overdue to the fact, you know, and, 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 and war and human life is the cost of us becoming a more enlightened race. I mean, human as a human race, okay? Because we can sit and turn the other cheek, but uh, like we see with ISIS, like we see with uh, radical right. extremists in the middle. But, Al- but Alicia, a if, but if a, a nuclear strike on on Korea, North Korea, we have just across the border, we have 25 million um, South Koreans in Seoul. Uh, there's going to be some retaliatory measure. I mean, this would have catastrophic consequences. Unbelievable. We're out of time, right. uh, well, unfortunately. And look at the catastrophic consequences that will be if North Korea, all the missiles that they're coming over here that have been thwarted, thanks to Ronald Reagan's ingenious Star Wars, uh, you know, uh, we have the means to thwart all the weapons that they've, they've tried to, to send over here. But if we don't, Right. Then All right. What, what well, about the catastrophic life that we lose in the United States? All right. We'll have to leave it there. Alicia Powell, how can we follow you on Twitter? I'm at Alicia underscore Powell on Twitter, and you can follow me on Facebook and follow my reports at World Net Daily. Alicia, thank you so much. Joel, how do we subscribe to World Affairs Brief? My website is worldaffairsbrief.com, and people can get a free sample issue by edi- uh, emailing me at editor at worldaffairsbrief.com. Alicia, Joel, thank you so much. 
My pleasure. Thank you. Good night. When we come back, a Stanford law professor focusing on genetics says within 30 years, we will no longer use sex to procreate. Stay with us. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Coming up at the uh, bottom of the hour, the results of our weekly remote viewing experiment, what's in the box, and of course, a mailbag. We'll dip into the mailbag. Uh, and then, after that, Jeffrey Smith, author of Seeds of Deception, will be here to discuss GMOs. A Stanford University law professor says within 30 years, we will no longer use sex to procreate. He believes the reproductive process will commence with parents choosing from a range of embryos created in a lab with their DNA. DNA. Uh, Hank Greeley specializes in the ethical, legal, and social implications of new biomedical technologies, particularly those related to neuroscience, genetics, or stem cell research. He chairs the steering committee for the Stanford Center for Biomedical Ethics and directs both the Law's School Center for Law and the Biosciences and the Stanford Program in Neuroscience and Society. Hank Greeley, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you. My pleasure. My first thought is, uh, isn't this already happening? Isn't this technology already available? Aren't we already essentially creating uh, human life in a lab uh, and um, toying around with, with the DNA? That's, yes, that's great. Almost nobody pays any attention to the fact that 5 to 10 million people around the world have been born as a result of IVF, which did not involve sexual intercourse. And another unknown number of people have been born as a result of artificial insemination, which also didn't involve sexual intercourse. So the idea of making babies without actually having to have sex is not new. What will be new, I think, in the next 20 to 40 years is it will increase dramatically in popularity because people will be able to make about 100 embryos, have each one completely genetically tested, learn whatever genetics can tell them about those embryos, and then choose which embryos to turn into their babies. The key breakthrough will be taking skin cells and making them into what are called induced pluripotent stem cells, something that's been done for 10 years, and then turning those into eggs or eggs and sperm and avoiding the expensive, unpleasant, and risky process of egg harvest. Well, we now have... Uh, embryos are being developed in, in labs. In, in Britain, Britain, I believe, uh, the first uh, time we had a, uh, an embryo with more than one father. We have the, the CRISPR gene editing capability where we can go in and, and uh, uh, shut off certain uh, gene sequences, which could be, you know, have tremendous benefits in terms of, uh, you know, ridding the world of certain diseases and so forth. Um, but when people are going to use that, to decide what hair color, what, uh, what height, what artistic ability their child will have. It's all starting to sound to me like a little bit of boys from Brazil and, and Hitler's uh, quest to create a master race. Are you, are you not at all concerned where this is heading? 
Yeah, I'm a little concerned about it. My book, The End of Sex, doesn't argue for it or against it. It says, I think accurately, this is what's coming. This is what we need to think about. This is why it's coming, and these are the issues we need to be concerned about. My own guess is most people will use embryo selection, and I focus on embryo selection instead of embryo editing because it's been done for 27 years. It'll just get easier and easier and better and better. People will use embryo selection for the most part to try to avoid the 1% to 2% of babies who are born with a serious genetic disease that could have been predicted. And, you know, in, in the U.S., that's 4 million babies are born every year. 1% to 2% is 40,000 to 80,000 kids condemned to a terrible quality of life because of a genetic disease. Parents will want to avoid that, I think. They will also be able to find out about hair color, eye color, boy or girl. They'll be able to find out a little bit about intelligence, sport ability, music ability. But my own guess is not very much because those are too complicated. Maybe they'll be able to say this embryo has a 60% chance of being in the top half and a 13% chance of being in the top 10%. But I don't think it'll be much different than that. But, you know, that's an empirical question, and time will tell. Well, that is turning babies into commodities, isn't it? It is allowing parents to avoid having seriously ill babies. Now, if you think that's turning babies into commodities, one way to look at it, I'm a parent of two. I am very, very fortunate that neither of my kids had a serious genetic disease, but I've known people who have had kids with serious genetic diseases, and avoiding that is, I think, not an immoral thing. Avoiding that is a good thing. The hair color, eye color, skin color, boy or girl, you know, I think some countries will legislate against it, some countries won't. But ultimately, that's relatively trivial compared to avoiding disease. What about sex selection? What about sex selection? I don't but want... Sex selection, a... yeah, yeah, sex selection is a really interesting one. I think there will be people who want to do it. Um, certainly, there are countries, particularly in Asia, but not exclusively in Asia, where that's happened and it's overwhelmingly choosing boys. So there's a little bit of evidence that that tide is beginning to turn in places like South Korea. In the U.S., at least anecdotally, it looks like if parents have any preference at all, it's slightly for girls. Now, do I care whether parents choose to have a boy first and a girl second or a girl first or a boy second? Not particularly. If we have 80% boys and 20% girls, that's a problem. What that's something that needs to be watched. What about someplace like China, where they where they are relaxing the one-child uh, per family policy, but uh, obviously a huge emphasis on on having a boy there, and they are they are experiencing tremendous demographic problems. They have millions and millions of single men uh, with no partners, no prospect of finding a partner. Uh, well, of course, that, with one point, yeah, with one point three billion people, they got millions and millions of everything. But in the twenties and thirties. They do have about 20% more men than women, and that's an issue. Um, and that's something, although interestingly, it looks like that may be turning around, at least in the urban areas of China. I think moving from the one-child policy to a more-than-one-child policy probably helps that because parents, if they'd only had one child, really wanted to have a boy. But now um, they can have one of each or maybe even two girls. You know, I think that's a problem to be watched. It'll vary from country to country and culture to culture. 
doesn't look like it's a problem in uh, the U.S. doesn't look like it's a problem in Canada. There was a report a few years ago that it was a problem in Canada, but when you looked at the numbers, they were talking about maybe 40 more boys born than girls in Asian immigrant populations in Canada. It wasn't a big deal. So, yes, there are things to be worried about. Sex selection is one of them. I think the biggest one, actually, is fairness and equity. And can everybody get this? It's not making super babies. It's making babies that would be, oh, I don't know, 10 to 15 percent healthier than regular babies, um, which is an advantage that rich kids already have over poor kids. Adding that on is a bad thing and needs to be watched. The issues about sex equality need to be watched. Personally, I think the hardest are issues around disability equality. Exactly. That was well, my next question. Uh, let me just remind listeners, Hank Greeley is with us. He is uh, he chairs the steering committee for the Stanford Center for Biomedical Ethics, and he is the author of The End of Sex. He contends that within 30 years, we will no longer uh, have sex to procreate, and this will all be done in a lab. Um, even the uh, one of the, the creators of um, this technology for uh, it's called CRISPR, this gene editing tool, yeah. is is, um, is waving all sorts of red flags. You know, almost wishing she could put the genie back in the bottle uh, because of where she fears this is going. And you mentioned the disabled. Yeah. Um, we could have you know, um, for example, people in the in the in the deaf community. They they consider themselves to be a community, uh, and and. You know, what happens if people have the, the choice of selecting uh, an embryo that, you know, that is, um, you know, not going to be hearing impaired? Or what about yeah. dwarfism, for example? So I think the deaf one's really interesting. We've had kind of a trial run with, of that with a technology called um, cochlear implants. Yes. Which allows profoundly deaf people to hear, and it's been very controversial in the yes. deaf community. They're often shunned by the deaf community. Some parents have wanted it. Some parents haven't wanted it. I actually think with the deaf and with with, uh, dwarfs, particularly the most common variety of little people, chondroplasics, my own hope is that parents who want a deaf child or who want a chondroplasic child should be able to do that. I worry more about the government telling parents, you can't have the kid you want. You can't have the child like you because we think that's a bad life. Now, that's not going to happen with things like Tay-Sachs disease, where the babies are born healthy and die inevitably within three years. But there are a few disabilities, a few things that, that we can that that people without them consider disabilities, like deafness, like achondroplasia, the most common form of dwarfism, that I think reasonable people may well want. And I think they should have that choice. But of course, the fact that most people will not choose that does have to be um, isolating to them. I remember doing a conference a few years ago, and a woman who was brilliant, a Stanford graduate, 28, with a, mus- with a genetic disease called spinal muscular atrophy, said, in the world you envision, I would not exist. Exactly. And I wanted to say, you know, yeah, you'd exist. Your parents would have just chosen a you that didn't have your disease. I said that knowing that that was not a good answer. Right. And she nailed me. She said, without my disease, I am not me. Hmm. Um, Excellent point. I think, so I think the disability issues are really, really hard. And I think we're in this world that I think is coming, not 100%. You know, I don't think any place will ever do this 100%, 70%, 80%. Different countries will do it at different rates. The Vatican City isn't going to legalize it anytime soon. Germany has a lot of historical baggage about human genetics. Hmm. They won't do it. But the U.S., Australia, 
Singapore, Taiwan, China. Well, South when it comes Korea. to eugenics, um, Mr. Greeley, we, no one in North American can, can sort of claim the high road. Both the United States and Canada uh, both yeah. <laughs> dabbled heavily in eugenics, of course. We had, you know, uh, children that were right. deemed to be, um, you know, uh, idiots were uh, at the time. It's a ho- horrible uh, phrase, but that's what they used, yeah. and they, they were sterilized. Uh, and, and my state did that more than any place else other than Germany. Um, California has a terrible record of that. But I, I would argue that there's a difference between the government saying, we think you've got a genetic disease, so we're going to sterilize you and not allow you to have kids, from parents saying, well, you know, we'd rather have the child who doesn't have a genetic disease to the child who does. Nobody can guarantee anybody a healthy baby. There are all sorts of things that can go terribly wrong that have nothing to do with genetics. But I don't, I, I wouldn't, I couldn't condemn a parent who said, I want to avoid the diseases that I can avoid. Sure. Almost like vaccination in a way. Right. Uh, you, you raise an ex- another excellent point, and that is um, one of the hardest things about this will be the divorces that come about when <laughs> one partner wants embryo number 15 and the other wants embryo number 64. You know, that was partially in jest, but, but there's a real point there. You can look at, with today's technology, let alone 30 years from now, you could look at 6,000 different traits. And how in the world are you going to weigh 20% higher risk of diabetes against 10% risk, lower risk of schizophrenia, mm-hmm. against 15% higher risk of obesity, against 25% better risk of a higher chance of good math ability? How are you going to make those decisions? I think that's going to be really hard. Right now, we just roll the dice blindly and take what we get. With the ability to choose comes responsibility for your choice and comes the possibilities of regret and guilt and um, wishing you'd made some other decision. I think that could be a real issue in family dynamics going forward, You know, let alone the kid who says, you know, the parents say, well, we chose you because we thought you'd be a great quarterback. What, what do you mean you want to be a poet? Right. Um, there are all sorts of problems that can arise. What about, um, um, well, I think you, you nailed it there. I guess that's where I was heading is, is how do you weigh that? This, this embryo may have a slight chance of, uh, you know, when, when the baby arrives of uh, getting diabetes versus schizophrenia, right. et cetera. That is going to be a moral quagmire. Are any jurisdictions actually, any states, for example, um, addressing this with, with rules and regulations? Or is this the Wild West at this point? So at least in the U.S., it's the Wild West. No state that I know of has any laws concerning what can be done through this process called pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. What I'm predicting is a vast expansion and a, a cheap, uh, less cost, more ease, less risk of pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. It's been done for 27 years. You take a few cells from an embryo test those cells, and they tell you about the embryo. Um, Last year, for the last year, we've got records for in in the U.S. About 5,000 kids were born after PGD. That's out of 4 million total births, so it's small. I think it's going to get bigger. It's not legislated in the U.S. Lots of countries have legislated about it, and I'm ashamed to admit that I, I don't remember right now what Canada's law is on it. But, for example, both Italy and Germany banned it 
But court decisions in both countries force them to allow it at least for the avoidance of serious disease. So I think some countries will say, yeah, you can use this to avoid serious disease. Then, of course, the country has the problem of defining what's serious and what's not. Some countries will say you can use it for everything but sex. You can have sex selection. You can use it for everything except cosmetics. I think there'll be a lot of strange, interesting laws. But one of the problems with regulating this is when you've got a, a world with over 200 countries, if you don't like your country's law, how hard is it to go on vacation to the Grand Caymans and get the embryo you want? Exactly. Yes. I think reproductive tourism is going to be a di- big deal. Hank Greeley. It already is. Is the, It's going to get bigger. Hank Greeley, uh, thank you so much for this. Hey, this was a great pleasure. I uh, really enjoyed your um, uh, very thoughtful questions. Thanks so much. He is the uh, chair of the steering committee for the Stanford Center for Biomedical Ethics and the author of The End of Sex. When we come back, the results of our remote viewing experiment and mailbag. Stay with us. When you look at the sky, ever wonder if someone's looking back? This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Curiosity, or did the devil make you do it? Whatever the reason, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To talk to Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right. Welcome back. Uh, Just ahead, we've got uh, Jeffrey Smith, the author of Seeds of Deception, and uh, we'll... Uh, tackle the GMO controversy once again, of course, at the uh, top of the hour, open lines. And then Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our resident paranormal investigator, researcher, the author of nearly 70 books. And um, we'll take a look at some of the uh, the wild and unusual stories. Uh, we call it the Paranormal News Roundup. Uh, first of all, uh, let's take care of our What's in the Box, our weekly remote viewing experiment. And um, let's... Let's go around the horn here. First of all, in the other room, Ian Robertson, my fine rockabilly friend. What's hello, in the box? Hello. Yes. Uh, I'm s- I'm not so much seeing something, but I'm getting the vibe that it shouldn't fit in the box. It shouldn't fit in the box, yeah. but it does. Yeah, so maybe it's like a miniature of something. Oh, I see. interesting point. Interesting. Like a toy oh, car. A toy car. I like that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Albert? All right. Uh, I put bumpy and echoes, and I tweeted at you a golf ball. Name things are, I guess, again. (laughs) Bumpy and echoes. What do you mean by echoes? Uh, The sound it makes. It seems like someone's hitting it or something. Oh, I see what you're saying. All right. Okay. And uh, finally, over to you, Ryan. Maybe it's because I was doing a a lot of laundry today, but I see like an old cloth texture, an old rag, maybe a handkerchief, something like that. I think you said that last week and the week before, and maybe even the week before. No. (laughs) Maybe, maybe. <laughs> All right. What are, they, what are the folks saying on Twitter? Again, the hashtag uh, is TCS Remote. Well, we've got a lot of good guesses. Uh, Drew thinks it's a tuning fork. Mm-hmm. Uh, Seven Flamingos thinks it's a combination lock. Daniel, a red wooden pencil. Um, Chip, 
a pencil or cigarette, the ghost of ULP, a crayon, a lot of writing utensils, uh, YY scissors, or a toy squirt gun, Durko thinks it's chopsticks, Ralph, a copy of the Declaration of Independence, <laughs> Le- Leo Bien thinks it's a magnet, Paul thinks it's a pack of chewing gum, and Mojo family thinks it's a Hot Wheel car. All right, who said the combination lock? The combination seven flamingos? lock. Seven flamingos. Seven flamingos. Wow. Okay, here's what we've got. We reach in and we find it is not a combination lock, but a lock nonetheless. Wow. Seven flamingos. All right. Um, please reach out to us, uh, Seven Flamingos, and um, provide us with an email address, and we'll get in touch, and we'll arrange for some fabulous Conspiracy Show merchandise to get mailed out to you. Well done. You know, we had quite a dry spell there for a while, didn't we, Albert? Nobody was uh, coming close, yeah. and then somebody nailed Padlock. it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's in the mailbag, Albert? Oh, we've got a full mail. We've got a full mailbag. Uh, the first one is from Phil, who is also a private investigator. And he writes, good afternoon, Richard. Love your show. Always interesting. A couple of weeks ago, you had on a TI, a woman from Stony Creek. I own a private investigation agency in Ontario for the past 22 years. Recently, I've been approached by three people, all unknown to each other. Uh, they, None of these people... Or we're aware of the term TI, but... Uh, Which means targeted individual. These are people who believe they're being harassed and uh, tortured, essentially, remotely uh, with electronic, uh, um, you know, some sort of electromagnetic device. Right, gang stalking and so on. However, they claimed incidents were happening in their lives that matched perfectly with the TI phenomenon. Hmm. In, in a case like this, I always conduct an in-depth interview to determine credibility. Um, the female subjects were older, and one was unemployed, the other a part-time employment, indicating low-visibility lifestyle. Uh, n- neither are involved in lawsuits or insurance claims are, and have no idea who or why. Uh, for example, an ex-spouse. Not, you know, no reason why they would yeah. be under intense surveillance. Well, few victims do know. Uh, like your Stony Creek caller, both of the subjects had limited financial resources, so could not retain my services. Mm-hmm. I directed both to file a complaint with the police. They uh, they did so, however, prior to seeing me. However, the police did not take them seriously. Uh, for a number of reason, reasons, I authorized limited counter-surveillance on the subjects. There were many interesting things going on. However, because of the cost of conducting operations, the counter-surveillance was limited. It's strange that in 22 years of private investigations, I would be approached by three people, all making the claims of being under surveillance by a group of unknown people. I just want to share this information with you, knowing the TI phenomenon is a subject that you cover. There you go. So a, a, a private investigator who had three clients or... People approach him anyway over his 22-year career who believed that they were being targeted and he did some limited surveillance. I guess guess it was sort of pro bono uh, and found some interesting things, although he didn't elaborate. Now, speaking of which, uh, targeted individual Albert, you've been very hard at work lining up next next week. We're doing a special, the full two hours on TIs. Tell us about that. Who's on the program? We've got John Rappaport and, and the pundit we've had on before, Dr. John Hall. 
Also, an expert. John Hall is an expert in in targeted individuals and has written extensively about this. And he's a pain management uh, physician who who has dealt with many of these so-called victims. And we've got Michael Fitzhugh Bell back, who's a victim. A very high-profile alleged victim of, yes. And uh, Roger from Bugsweep confirmed. Roger Tolsis. Correct. He's the specialist on, you know, how to defend and the practical solutions that work. He's the half hour, the last half hour. All right. Good job. Excellent. All right. We have anything else? Do we have time for there, one more? There's okay. another mailbag. Uh, it's from Daniel, and he's saying, I've listened to several podcasts a day. Um, I have yet to hear predictive programming, and I was hoping that's a topic you can cover. If you're unfamiliar, there's a YouTuber, Odd Reality. He demonstrates over 60 examples of predictive programming on 9-11 alone. I hope you check it out. Uh, this is a, I hope this is a topic you will have in the future. That's a great idea. We've never done anything about predictive programming. Uh, we may have hinted at it. it. It's interesting, Daniel, that you sent that email because just today our good friend Nelson Thal, our media scientist friend who joins us from time to time, sent me a YouTube video on exactly that. It was a clip from Back to the Future uh, which sort of predicts the 9-11 attacks. So, uh, yeah, there's some great examples of, of that. There's several from The Simpsons uh, and um, a, a TV series that was a spinoff of, the, um, of um, the X-Files called The Lone Gunman. And uh, they did an episode which some say, say was predictive programming, again, about 9-11. So, yeah, we definitely should do that. All right. Uh, let me just remind uh, listeners that uh, our YouTube channel, we are trying to get to 10,000 subscribers. So please check us out. You can stream the show live on YouTube, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hit the subscribe button. Back with Jeffrey Smith and GMOs right after this. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now, 416-360-0740, or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, welcome back. Uh, We are reaching out to uh, Jeffrey Smith, uh, the author of Seeds of Deception, and uh, also the founding executive director of the Institute for Responsible Technology, or IRT, to talk about GMOs. And uh, he's not picking up on the other end, so we'll keep working on that. In the meantime, uh, Seven Flamingos. Was that uh, was that the fellow, uh, Ryan, that uh, yep, who, um, seven flamingos. Remote, remote viewed a combination, a combination lock? lock. And uh, let me just uh, try to open up my cigar box here again. And this is what we had again. It was a uh, not a combination lock, but a little padlock. A, um, a key lock, and um, if you could reach out to a Seven Flamingos, if you're on, if you're following me on Twitter, just direct message me with your uh, contact information, and then we'll get that. Uh, we'll get something nice out to you—a mug or a T-shirt or a phone phone case. We'll be in touch. All right. While we're trying to reach Jeffrey Smith, I also want to draw to your attention a couple of things. Number one, 
the mighty Aphrodite back at uh, home headquarters is uh, working on a uh, on a poll, and um, it's up there now on uh, on the Twitter feed at Richard Serrett, and we're asking you to respond uh, to well, it's this whole Omar Cotter uh, compensation, ten million dollars, and an apology. Uh, which many of you, well, some of you may find uh, odious, as I do, and others may applaud, uh, applaud the Liberals for doing this. However, um, the, uh, the poll is up there, and we'd love for you to respond. The question is, was the Liberal government of Canada correct to give Omar Khadr a formal apology and $10 million in compensation? And uh, you can, you can uh, there's a number of choices. You can click on that it was a treasonous act, um, the other option is he was a terrorist and he was tortured. So please go to at Richard Serrett and uh, respond to our online poll, and we'll be tracking that uh, throughout the rest of the night. We'll give you the results. All right, the other thing that's interesting is uh, I believe today is the anniversary of the murder of DNC volunteer worker, campaign worker, Seth Rich. Here we are a year later and still no closer to uh, the truth. No answers. It seems to be at this point pretty much a cold case. We're not getting any indication from the Washington police uh, you know, that they have any leads whatsoever. Private investigators and Julian Assange of WikiLeaks have offered rewards and they are not getting any information. This is very odd. This is perhaps the, the oddest thing uh, is that normally when you offer a reward, you get you get people calling. They have the phone ringing off the hook. Even they're, they're giving uh, misinformation. They're just, uh, you know, hearsay, anything. But they're not, it's just total silence. It's like nobody wants to get close to this thing. So we'll, um, we'll have to uh, reconvene a panel again on uh, Seth Rich because we're not going to let it go. This is, this is a story that deserves to be uh, pursued and investigated uh, no matter where it leads. If it was a botched robbery, then so be it. If it was a serial killer, as some researchers claim, then so be it. If it was a contract killing, then we need to know that too. All right. No sign of uh, Jeffrey Smith at this point. So I think what I will do is we will start our, uh, our open line segment a little bit early. Why don't we do that? We are uh, putting out the word to Jeff to uh to give us a call if he can hear us if he's in uh, listening if he's listening to his radio anyway let's proceed and we'll uh, give out the phone lines open lines now until the bottom of the hour so we can work in a few calls before the top of the hour 416-360-0740 in the greater toronto area 416-360-0740 and toll free from just about anywhere 1866 1-866- 740 866-740-4740. And perhaps you would like to talk about the, uh, the Liberal government giving a formal apology to a convicted terrorist, Omar Khadr, uh, and a $10 million compensation package. Meanwhile, uh, the widder, widow of the, uh, the soldier who was uh, killed by Cotter with a, a hand grenade on the battlefield in Afghanistan, is left high and dry. In fact, it would appear that her efforts 
uh, to gain to gain access to some of that ten million dollars was was blocked by the government because it was sort of done in the uh, in the dead of night, so to speak, just before the prime minister whisked off to uh, Great Britain prior to the G20 summit. Odious, to say the least, as far as I'm concerned. All right, if you'd like to weigh in on that, please do. If, uh, if there's something you'd like to talk about regarding the, uh, the recent G20 meeting in Germany, uh, Donald Trump's speech, President Trump's speech in Poland, his meeting with uh, Putin, we can talk about all those things. And, of course, we still uh, welcome calls regarding uh, UFOs and uh, just about anything that we would normally discuss here on The Conspiracy Show. 416-360-0740 in the Greater Toronto Area. And toll-free, once again, from out of town, 1-866-740-4740. All right, let's say hi to Ryan in Stouffville. Ryan, good evening. Welcome. Hey, Richard. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm all right, my friend. Yeah, I was looking forward to your guest, but hopefully he comes through, but, you know, things happen. So I get to talk to you. You got it. My one question is just about numerology. I was thinking, I was going back in uh, an old record collection and listening to the police murder by numbers. Ah. And I stumbled upon something with, like, numerology and, you know, kind of things of those weird coincidences of, like, down to dates, right? Right, right, yes. So I just, I don't know, like, I'm not too familiar, so, you know, you can get lost in the Internet, but I just want to know from, uh, because you're a wise man, like... Well, what do you know about numerology and that kind of thing? Well, uh, I don't know a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar, for example, with the Pythagorean screed. So you assign a number to a letter. So A becomes 1, B becomes 2, C becomes 3, and so forth. And so uh, when you spell out a word, then it has a, um, a number value attached to each letter in the word, and therefore the word has a number. Uh, and some people believe that... Uh, uh, that number that it's associated with the word gives that word certain certain power, I suppose. Uh, a name, for example, then has a a number value, uh, and uh, you know numerologists uh, ascribe certain attributes to certain numbers. So if your number is a seven, then you have a certain attribute. If it's a nine, so forth. I'm not that familiar with what those attributes are. Do I put a lot of stock in it? Um, let me say this: as a, as a Christian, I, I, I mean, numerology for me is not—it's uh, not top of mind. It's not something that no. I put a lot of faith in. However, um, working with numbers, for example, um, in the Bible, there are certain codes in the Bible, I believe, uh, that that pertain to certain numbers. Uh, and there's a whole book of the Bible, of course, that is. Uh, about numbers, right? The book of numbers. Yeah. And there's a lot of interesting things happening in, in the book of numbers. Uh, and um, I'll have to get Chuck Misler back on the program because he does a wonderful job. He's written a whole book about this called The Cosmic Codes. Okay, awesome. Not just about Bible codes um, that we think of, you know, repeating words and so forth and um, uh, in, the Hebrew, in the Hebrew Bible, but also the use of numbers in the Bible. What's uh, the, his name again? Sorry, Richard. Chuck Misler, M-I-S-S-L-E-R. Chuck Misler. The book is called The Cosmic Codes. Uh, the other, the other aspect uh, of numbers that I find fascinating is repeating numbers. I, I think a lot of people are are sort of haunted or followed by certain numbers. For example, yes. for me, every time I, I look at a at a digital clock, it seems to be ten ten. 
Well, I often see 11-11 and double numbers. Right. Quite often, and then, and then I read into that, and they said they were like, maybe angels or spirits or frequencies, or maybe that's just coincidence. Someone described but, that phenomenon as that the universe is trying to speak to you. I don't know what that means exactly, but uh, yeah, for me it's 10-10, for you it's 11-11. Uh, it, but hey, listen. Numbers are fascinating. Ryan, who is or um, Albert? Who is that fellow that we had on uh, uh, that talks about um, ma- uh, numbers? Um, do, you, do you know the guy I'm talking about? He talks about sacred geometry and a lot of that. Oh, stuff. Scott Onstott. Yes, Scott Onstott. Okay. Yes, we'll have to have him back on. Well, you know what, guys? I love your show, and uh, your guests are awesome, and it's pretty cool when you get to be on uh, coast to coast. But I tune into uh, Sundays. And it's a privilege, and keep doing what you're doing. All right, Ryan in Stouffville, thank you. Oh, thank you, too. All right, let's say hi to uh, Earl. uh, It's time for the Earl Hour. It's Earl in Oakville checking in again. Hello, Earl. Are you there, Earl? Did we lose Earl in Oakville? I guess we did. Uh, Who's up next? We have Brenda. Brenda in Toronto. Good evening, Brenda. Okay, we're having some problems with the phones. Not sure what that what that's about. However, uh, we are. Um, I don't think we'll have time for another call. We're coming up on a break, but we will. If you've got a line, hold on to it. Ian has uh, run into the other room. He's trying to figure out what's going on with our phone lines, but we'll get that uh, working in good order, and then back on the other side, and we'll take open lines to the bottom of the hour, and then of course we'll be joined by uh, our paranormal investigator. Our paranormal investigator, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, and we've got uh, some great stories in store for you, including a Soviet circus clown. Not sure how far back this story goes. Uh, This is one from the archives, but a Soviet circus clown who tried to prove that dogs are psychic. And then, can't wait to talk about this one, actor Rob Lowe. Wasn't he one of the Brat Pack, a member of the Brat Pack? Well, Rob Lowe has a new reality show, I believe, with his sons, uh, and it's kind of an outdoor adventure program. And uh, he claims that he recently had a very close encounter, a frightening encounter, with a Bigfoot uh, somewhere in, um, I'm not sure if it was Appalachia or uh, somewhere down in um, like the Smoky Mountains or something. But uh, we'll talk to Rosemary as well about that. All right. Open lines on the other side. Stay with us. The Conspiracy Show. Back with more. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Well, thanks for inviting me into your home. Your long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' basement, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Now, this is going to be interesting, this hour of the program, because our uh, phones are not cooperating. So, if you've got a line, hold on to it, if you can hear me. Uh, We're not able to uh, put the phones on on the air from the other side of the glass. So I'm going to try to do it manually from this side of the glass, and we will see where we get. We are doing open lines until the bottom of the hour, and then, hopefully, uh, we'll be able to reach out to Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator, for our monthly paranormal news roundup. Uh, Welcome back to the program. Ian uh, Ian Robertson is here, my fine rockabilly friend, uh, Albert Vinzel, 
story producer, intrepid remote viewer, and uh, our feature producer, Ryan White, is uh, with us as well. All right, let's, uh, let's try this, shall we? We're going to try and say hi to Joel. Joel in Toronto. Can you hear me, Joel? Yeah, that's me. There you are. Yeah. Welcome. I want to talk about that $10 million, okay, Richard? Yes. Okay, we have uh, federal MPs, right? We do indeed, yeah. How many do we have, 200, 240? Uh, it's closer to, it's 300 and something. Yeah, okay. My point is, uh, when the House is in session in Ottawa, have the MPs vote either for or against that bequeathment of $10 million, and then put it in the newspaper, which MPs voted for that bequeathment and which MPs voted against it, okay? You'd like to know who's for and against. Yeah, that's, well, that's a procedural thing. I don't know that the Liberal government is ever going to put such a thing to a vote. This was a Supreme Court decision. It was unanimous back in 2010. Yeah. Perhaps we need to be more concerned about who we're appointing to the uh, the bench. Well, I'm uh, I'm talking about a democracy. Canada's supposed to be a democracy. We elected federal MPs, right? Yes, that goes without saying. Okay, thank you very much. All right, thank you, Joel. We're talking about uh, the $10 million settlement and an apology to Omar Khadr, who was in Afghanistan, 15 years old, yes, a child soldier. Father was Al-Qaeda. Omar Khadr was in an Al-Qaeda trading camp. Um, his father had ties to... Uh, Bin Laden, it is said. So there's no question that he was being uh, trained and he was certainly inculcated uh, with all of the uh, jihadi brainwashing and so forth. And he threw a hand grenade and killed one U.S. soldier, a U.S. medic, leaving behind a widow and two young children, and wounded another, leaving that person permanently blind in one eye. Now, the, uh, the widow of the U.S. medic has sought to uh, actually won a settlement in the United States, a wrongful death settlement, will not likely collect that money. I believe her lawyers came to Canada and are trying to see if there's any way they can get some of that money that's going to Cotter. Uh, I mean, if he, if he is truly rehabilitated, if Omar Cotter is good for his word and he's totally rehabilitated, why doesn't he give the lion's share of that money to the widow? That would demonstrate, at least to me, that he is sincere. Will he do that? I'm highly doubtful. I'm highly doubtful. All right, uh, let's see. Who is next? Let's say hi to uh, Brenda. Brenda, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hi, Richard. It's not Brenda. It's Paul. Oh, all right. Paul, how are you? I'm very good. I'm sorry to hear about your phones going out of whack, but at least the power's still on. That's a good thing. Yes, small mercies. We're good to go. I uh, I wanted to relay the uh, pictures I sent to you for the uh, May 6, 2015 sighting. Our latest, our, our latest, the latest UFO sighting. Yes, I did get those, and um, that was kind of a strange one you sent me. It's kind of an oblong-looking uh, craft, if that's what it was. Um, how was that one behaving in the sky? Well, 
as I just came out from uh, afternoon break uh, with a couple of people uh, about after uh, five minutes at 3.05, I noticed it uh, to the north, actually in the same area uh, where I reported the last week's one mm-hmm. uh, for July 8, 2016. And uh, it was very low, uh, probably about, again, uh, under 150 feet uh, in altitude and about a half a mile away. And when I had first noticed it, it really looked strange because it was flashing the light also, and its movements were kind of jerky and uh, uh, kind of like sort of would stop just for a split second and continue on. All right, Paul, and I'm going to stop you for one second. Paul, just bear with me. I need to put you on hold for one second. I'm working the phones manually on this side, and I just want to put uh, someone else who's called in on hold. So if you can hear my voice, you're now on hold. Don't worry. I'll get to you as soon as I can. And uh, let's get back to Paul. Thanks for that, Paul. All right. We're working the phones on the other side of the glass here. This is uh, kind of an unorthodox method, but we're getting it done. All right. So this, this, uh, this was – what was the date of this latest sighting? This was on May 6th. May 6th. Uh, 2015. All right. And uh, it was first noticed at uh, 3.03. That's by my uh, timestamp on my camera. Right. When I first noticed it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, it was really strange to see the way it was moving and glinting and almost like if it was changing shape, which, of course, as you look at the images, it does seem to have some kind of uh, morphing ability and mm-hmm. uh, appearance. Yes. Now, for our listeners, Paul does send me these photographs, uh, these JPEGs via email, and uh, I did receive this one, uh, and I did notice yeah, this was kind of a – it, it it was almost more like a vertical type craft rather than you know the flat kind of saucer shaped discs. This was sort of straight up and down. Uh, very interesting images. The first picture taken, Richard, uh, you can see another craft uh, beside it or further away that looked a little more larger. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I assume maybe the smaller one came out of that craft. Or there was uh, another type of uh, intelligence checking out that thing. I really don't know. All right. Well, unfortunately, I'm going to have to keep this one short because, um, as I said, I'm having some difficulties with the phones, and I need to, in order to get the next caller on, i got to let you go. Oh, okay. Just to finish it off, uh, I yelled it out to the two witnesses. They both looked quickly, plain, plain, plain. I said, okay. Uh, I took the pictures, and I showed them later, said it's not a plane, so both did 180. All right. Thank you for that, Paul. We'll look forward to your next UFO update. That's Paul out Oshawa way. All right. Uh, let's see. Who do we have here? Welcome. Can you hear me? Yes. Is that Brenda? Yes. Hello, Richard. Hi, How Brenda. Are you tonight? Very well, thank you. Brenda, is, um, the, uh, you're the, the, the targeted individual who sent me something in the mail, correct? Yes. I have the right one. All right. Uh, Brenda, just give us a real quick update, or not an update, but a, 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 a summary of your situation. This was out in Stony Creek. It was actually in Toronto. In Toronto. My apologies. Why did I think it Stony Creek? It was in Toronto, and um, I have spoken briefly at the last police service board meeting, which was on June the 15th. Okay, but I mean, I, I, no, I don't mean that about that. I mean a summary of your... of your with this? Well, you, you're, you believe that you and your family are being yes. or, uh, gang-stalked by an organized yes. group in your neighborhood that are trying to yes. get you out of the neighborhood, and they're harassing yes. you. Correct. Right. The police are involved in this, and I have documented for a number of years their involvement. 
and I have provided some new evidence to the police very recently, and I'm awaiting a response. All right. Now, I know that you, you received some sort of a, you uncovered some sort of a court document that you say yeah. sort of buttresses your case. Now, I know you yeah. sent me a package, and I have to apologize. I haven't had time to look at that. It's okay. sitting, it is in my office, and uh, I will get to it. But do you want to tell I'm me what's in that package? I am going to drop off, uh, basically, it shows the police saying, in order to protect the people that were harassing us, that we are all crazy. In particular, I'm crazy, but we all are as well. We're crazy people, and these people are innocent. They haven't done anything. So it took a long number of years to get that document. I got it, sent you a copy. I'm also going to be dropping off in the next few days a mental health letter that I'm mentally healthy because well, I what, feel Excuse that, me, uh, Brenda, but what sort of a, what sort of a document would, would show what you just described, the, the police... Basically, it's a few sheets of a court transcript that I was unable to get. I've been unable to get it for years. And I don't know if you know this, but when you're involved in a legal proceeding, um, you're supposed to be able to get a transcript of that proceeding. So it shouldn't have been difficult to get hold of it, but I've only just got hold of it. And basically, the two policemen that are mentioned, their names are spelled wrong. But one of their badge numbers is correct. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, don't, please don't divulge any of that information on the Correct. Air. All right. So I now know who they are, and um, I am happy to have this document. I handed it out already at the last police services board meeting. I did get to speak briefly, and I've been promised another five minutes this month to speak again on the same topic. And basically, I believe from attending the meetings held by Justice Tulak last year, as you know, Justice Tulak was looking into police complaints, and a number of people appeared saying that they'd been taken away by the police. They don't know why. Hmm. Person after person saying they were frightened of the police, right. they, they were taken away. Okay, Brenda, and listen, I do, I do promise I will have a look at that document, and I, the next time you call in, I can speak to it. Uh, I haven't yeah, seen it as yet, and I look forward to looking forward at it. To next Sunday. Okay. Yes, and our next Sunday is our targeted individual special. Yes, I can't wait. All right. Thank you, Brenda. Thank you very much. I'm grateful for all the time you've spent on this topic. All right. My pleasure. Okay. Uh, let's see. Who do we have here? Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Hi there. Hello? Hi. Who's this? It's me, Earl, pal. We were cut off. Ah, hi. Yeah, we're having trouble with the phones, Earl, but you're yeah. on now. Uh, what about voodoo? What do you think of voodoo? What do I think of it? Yeah. <laughs> I, stay, I give it a wide berth, my friend. I, get, I stay as clear from it as I possibly can. Yeah. Why? I had a bad experience when I was younger with that. I was having nightmares, and I, when I opened my eyes, I could see these massive disappearing, coming at me and disappearing, and a witch doctor dancing around when I closed my eyes. That was a heck of an experience. Uh, and were you taking any sort of medication at the time? No, or? no, no. This happened to me when I was a teenager. I All was, right. And why do you uh, think it has anything to do with voodoo? I don't know. You know, I mean, it's really strange. Uh, you know, if I had not been awake at the time, I would have said, well, you know, it's a, just a bad nightmare. But, mm. you know, it looked like a witch doctor, you know, uh, dancing around in circles with uh, disappearing and appearing and disappearing. I was a teenager at the time. Well, was, uh, maybe maybe someone tried to put a, a hex on you. Yeah, that's what I think. Somebody tried to put a voodoo curse on me. <laughs> right. Have you ever seen a movie called The Serpent and the Rainbow? <laughs> yeah. Have you seen that movie? <laughs> okay, pal, you take care of yourself. All right, he's not interested. All right, thank you for that. Uh, 
who's this? Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Who do we have on the line here? Hello? Hello. Hi there. Who's this? Oh, it's William. Hey, William. Hi. Um, uh, I, too, am a targeted uh, uh, person, and uh, you, my documentation should be coming in the mail <laughs> uh, right. any day now. If you could pass it on to John R. Hall, i give you permission to do that in the documentation. Well, uh, William, I hope you'll call in next week uh, yeah, when we do the program. Right and. Now, uh, yeah. Briefly, I'd like to make a comment on, on, the, on the Omar Carter case. Yes. Um, it, it's not what Omar Carter did. It's what we did to him, and uh, it goes against our Constitution. And uh, the good thing that came out of this case is that it sets a good court precedent uh, for other people to take a court action and and keep this thing under control. So well, these here, kind of things. Here's my question. Here's people. my question. Does sleep deprivation? I know it's considered in it's many no quarters good. to be torture, but sleep but sleep deprivation is <laughs> compared to what we are up against. Let's face it. We are at war with radical Islamic terrorism, and to, I'm sorry, but a little bit of sleep de- deprivation, if it could save lives. Uh, is you know is not the worst thing, and um, I'm sorry, that's the way I feel. I don't think sleep deprivation should be considered torture, and uh, I certainly don't think that uh, he should have received ten million dollars and an apology. He was repatriated. He got to serve out his sentence here. That's his reward, if you will. But well, but uh, and uh, do you think there's a good court precedent set for other people that uh, you may think uh, have more legitimate? causes to pursue the Listen, this is not to, to me this was a this was a enemy combatant. This doesn't fall under, you know, uh, criminal proceedings. This is extra criminal proceedings. This is extra legal we're talking about here. He's an enemy combatant. This is war. Okay, so it won't apply to uh... It may, it may. Okay. However, we've opened that can of worms. Yeah. William, thank you for that. Thank you for taking my call, sir. More open lines on the other side. Stay with us. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You want the truth? You can handle the truth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To get the truth, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, welcome back. Rosemary Ellen Guiley will join us at the bottom of the hour for our monthly Paranormal News Roundup. And uh, we'll talk, as I said, about uh, Rob Lowe, actor Rob Lowe's encounter with Bigfoot during the taping I believe, of a, a reality show he's involved with, sort of outdoor adventures, and uh, this is with his, uh, his, his two sons. We'll also talk about a... Um, oh, the Marines. The U.S. Marines are using ESP again. Didn't they get rid of um, the remote viewing program, Albert, a few years ago? Uh, Operation Stargate it, and uh, all those... It, it goes to a different level of black ops you never hear about. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure you're right. All right. Let's say hi to uh, Drew out in Mississauga. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show, Drew. Good morning, Richard. How are you? Well, thank you. Perfect. So um, fake news has been a term that's been in the media for several months now. 
But one thing I just want to would suggest for a, a potential future show discussion is uh, distraction news, uh, if you want to call it that. So certain times, um, the certain stations in the USA, even in Canada, would publish a big story for a week or two to hide some real events hiding behind the scenes that doesn't want to be mainline news and hides other facts. So like Seth Rich, like last year, uh, I know Seth Rich came, uh, the incident happened after the fact, but there was a popular app that came out last summer and they were talking about that app on the news and drowning out real news stories. Not pretend, not fake news, but distraction news. What do you right. think about that? I, I, I think you're, you're 100% correct, Drew. There's, there is... There's fake news, and then there is, uh, then there's there's getting the story wrong, which is not necessarily uh, the same as fake news. I mean, floating a fake story. Uh, then there is omission, which is you know guilty the guilty um, guilty by omission, just not reporting the news, and uh, instead of reporting on Seth Rich. Uh, you know, they'll run some. Uh, you mentioned this story about the app. I don't remember that one, but uh, oh, I believe it was uh, Pokemon. Right. So, yeah, a hundred percent. That goes on all the time. No, but it'd be interesting to make a tally of what comes out in the future and keep track of that. But that's all. Thank you. Right. Okay. Appreciate that, Drew. No, it's a, it's, a, it's very true. And um, Seth. I mean, the me- mainstream media has not talked about Seth Rich at all. It's they will they will it's like kissing the third rail for them. They just will not do it. They won't go anywhere near it. And that is just it is so strange, the total lack of curiosity. Okay, so maybe it was a botched robbery. Why can't we know which hospital he was taken to? Why can't we see the ballistics report? Why can't we see the uh, the autopsy? Why aren't the police uh, responding to the FOIA requests? Why does the mayor seem to be rushing to judgment? The mayor saying this was a botched robbery case closed. Very unusual. 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. And toll free from out of town, just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740. 866-740-4740. And uh, just again, a reminder, if uh, you'd like to get on up to the Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett, S. Y-R-E-double-T, and uh, you can participate in the, uh, the poll. And it has to do with the Liberal government of Canada giving Omar Khadr a formal apology and $10 million in compensation, a convicted terrorist. This was a decision reached by the Supreme Court, a unanimous decision back in 2010 that Omar Khadr's charter rights were violated, and uh, this stems, of course, from Omar Khadr, 15 years, 15 years old at the time, on the battlefield in Afghanistan, killed a U.S. A soldier, a medic, seriously wounded a second soldier. Khadr was injured. He was, his life was saved by U.S. medics. He was taken uh, back to Guantanamo. And the, um, the conservative government refused at first to uh, ex- or to repatriate him, but they've finally agreed grudgingly. But it was the liberal government prior to that that refused to, extra- uh, to uh, repatriate him. It was the liberal government that caused this problem to begin with. 
now the liberals are blaming the conservatives. Interesting. All right. So if you'd like to participate in that poll again, just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. And uh, the question is, was the Canadian liberal government correct to make it a formal apology to Omar Khadr and uh, award $10 million to him? All right. Let's say hi to Lucy. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show, Lucy. Hey, Richard. Hi there. Oh, yeah. Um, I'd like you to reiterate a good news story that came out about a half or one whole year ago about the new court that was being set up, international court for criminal, national behavior, international criminal behavior, um, and it was very secretive who was involved, but it was going to be comprehensive for the whole globe, and it was going to start to clamp down on some of this nonsense. It was before Trump got in. Uh, I know you were you were the one that talked about it, nobody else, but it was a very good news story that they were going to start to make these, I guess, uh, corporations and, and, you know, um, world leaders start to have to account for some of the criminality, maybe the, the bank criminality and the, you know, uh, other types of, uh, you know, maybe it was when TPP was still looming. Uh, you know, so it was quite a while ago, maybe three quarters of a year ago, something like that. I seem to recall, that? yes, we, I had someone on. Uh, Albert, do you remember th- this guest? And yeah, he was, um, he was advocating or pushing for the formation yeah. of this international court that would go after, uh, I guess, you know, like the globalists and yeah. these, these people, maybe the George Soros of this world and so forth. I haven't heard much about that recently, though. I would just like to keep hearing some of these good news stories, you know. Well, uh, I mean, it sounds promising, I suppose, on the surface, but to my, you know, to my knowledge, nothing has come of it. I think that was an idea being floated. I don't know that it was ever that it ever came to fruition. Hmm. The other thing, the other issue I have is I'm I'm very suspicious of a lot of these sort of international type organizations. I'm not a huge fan of the United Nations. I'm not a huge no, fan no, of. No, because it got co-opted, but. A fresh, a fresh organization, a fresh approach. They seem to have all the right, uh, uh, you know, drives. And here's another thing I've observed: is a lot of these um, things that come out. Uh, you know, the opiate crisis, for instance. Yes. Um, advocating that the doctors change their approach to opiate, or, you know, legitimate pain sufferers that they drop their opiates either to zero or something, a very small fraction of what they're used to, and they're in serious, terrible pain. But when you read the uh, committee's uh, recommendations, they make no sense. They don't add up. They're not logical. And people have commented on that. And I'm finding that in a lot of cases, that they put out these official new documents. They're supposed to be guidelines, but they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. Uh, Who puts out the guidelines? Who, 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 Who puts out these guidelines? Pardon me? When you say they, they put out these guidelines, who well, are you referring I'm, I'm to? I'm sure I don't remember the name of these um, groups, but um, they're right across Canada. And, of course, they're across the whole Western world, clamping down, for instance, on the opiate crisis. But there's a lot of other new guideline um, uh, documents that are written up, and they are so uh, un, unclear about, about anything. They're mm. just not scientifically written. They're supposed to be. There's no logic they're, and they're, they're, they're talking, uh, you know, both sides, like uh, enforcing a regulation and then saying that that regulation is no longer in effect in the same document. Uh, well, I don't know about that. I know that uh, the state of Missouri recently, the attorney general has um, uh, not launched attorney a... general. Uh-uh. It's not government. No, I'm talking about the state of Missouri, uh, Lucy, and the attorney general in the state of Missouri has, they have launched criminal action against... 
um, or I'm sorry, a lawsuit. They've launched a lawsuit against the drug companies because of this opiate crisis, uh, this epidemic that's sweeping North America, really. It's not really and it, drug companies, And it though. will be interesting. They're killing people, but the legitimate well, patients are having to pay the price. It's a terrible, terrible crisis. People have already committed suicide over it, and it's only just begun. But when you read the, the guideline, the new, you know, doctors have to go by it, it's, uh, there's no real definite uh, logic elucidated in these documents, and, and they often propose, uh, state both sides of, of the direction to the doctor, mm. which is really, really, and I'm finding that, I hear that quite a lot in these, some, a lot of these new uh, guidelines that are written up to attack the latest new problem. And there's nothing scientific about it, um, nothing logical about it. And I find it really, really uh, curious. So you don't blame the drug companies in this instance? Not just the drug companies. Something even higher up than that. Higher up than the drug companies? Pardon me? Well, well, are you talking about the approval process, whoever approved these opiates? People that are directing, that are not even doctors in that case. um, They're... I'm sorry, I don't know, but they're a bureaucracy. They're not, you know, elected, and they really don't even have contact with doctors or their pain patients or pain management uh, professionals, nothing. They're just creating new new guidelines uh, for the doctors to follow hmm. that don't make any logical sense. They're not even in touch with reality. Okay. All right, Lucy, I appreciate anyway. your call. Yeah, I'm not really clear on what, 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 you, what you're on about in terms of guidelines and so forth. I'm not sure who they are and so forth. Uh, but there's no question uh, in my mind that the drug companies responsible uh, for these opiates making the claims that they were safe and uh, they were effective and, uh, and so forth are culpable in some manner. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing we will, it's quite likely we will see more and more states lining up and hopefully some jurisdictions here in Canada as well uh, going after these drug companies in much the same way that um, the tobacco companies eventually had to pay the piper. There are huge, huge societal economic costs as a result of uh, these drug companies' blunder, if you will. And that's being, that's being kind. That's assuming, you know, that they didn't know what they were doing, that it was a mistake. Let's give them that for now. Rosemary Ellen Guiley stands by for our monthly Paranormal News Roundup. Stay with us here on The Conspiracy Show. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard live, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. All right, welcome back. Just a reminder, coming up next week on the program, our big special, two hours on targeted individuals. Dr. John Hall and John Rappaport will be here. Also, Michael Fitzhugh Bell, high-profile alleged victim of targeted 
uh, or electronic harassment, electronic torture, if you will. Uh, and then also uh, Roger Tolsis, who uh, is an expert in countermeasures uh, and can, and, uh, it can uh, be of some assistance to uh, targeted individuals. We'll uh, get to that all next week for the full two hours. Right now, Rosemary Ellen Guiley joins us for our monthly Paranormal News Roundup. She's a leading expert in the metaphysical and paranormal fields with more than 60 books published on a wide range of paranormal, spiritual, and mystical topics, including nine single-volume encyclopedias and reference works. Her current work focuses on interdimensional entity contact experiences, problem-haunting spirit and entity attachments, and her website is visionaryliving.com. Rosemary Ellen Guiley, how are you? Hi, Richard. Well, I'm doing very well. I'm out in the Northwest right now enjoying some pretty great weather. Excellent. I have to ask you about uh, this uh, this this story goes back uh, almost 100 years. In the 1920s, in uh, the Soviet Union, there was a circus clown there uh, that was trying to prove that, that dogs are psychic. What do you know about this story? It's a very interesting story because this clown did uh, over a thousand experiments over a, a long period of time with different dogs, trying to demonstrate how he could hypnotize them by making eye contact and send them telepathic commands to do things, uh, and with a, a good measure of success. He also had a lot of failures, but uh, I think just about anybody who owns uh, dogs uh, will testify that they seem to read our minds, that there is a telepathic rapport. And uh, these experiments were done way before um, more modern researchers started turning their, their attention to animal telepathy. Um, Rupert Sheldrake uh, yes. some years ago uh, did uh, a lot of research on dogs. He, he did a book um, that was titled something like uh, Dogs Who Know When Their Owners Are Coming Home, and it it was about the telepathic rapport that, that uh, dogs share with their owners, that no matter uh, how uh, separated they are, um, there is a telepathic link that the animals can sense what people are doing and what they intend to do. Well, this clown uh, was more direct. Uh, his process was to make uh, very deep and penetrating eye contact, uh, literally use a form of hypnotism on the dog. Probably didn't need to do that. They could probably, uh, the dogs could probably pick up his thoughts anyway. But I think it's interesting that uh, here we have uh, nearly a century ago someone doing experiments that um, then uh, were repeated in, in a kind of a way uh, decades later. He did something like 1,300 experiments, but he was, a, he was a, a circus clown. So he was working with dogs in the circus. Is that why he, he became interested in this, this research? Uh, well, he uh, he did have an interest in dogs, and the fact that they, um, they did seem to be very responsive to thought. And he wanted to demonstrate it by doing some experiments, that it wasn't just a hunch, that he could prove it. Uh, and um, um, experts are really divided on whether or not he did, uh, because he did have a lot of failures. Um, but uh, I found some of his experiments very interesting, uh, you know, sending mental commands to dogs to pick things up or to sit down or uh, to, to change position. And uh, I think that uh, uh, anyone who works with dogs today 
uh, certainly understand or, or has the feeling that um, animals do anticipate um, hu- what humans are about to say and about to do. 100%. Well, uh, this, um, this um, I guess he was more of an animal trainer. He's been described as a circus clown. Kaczynski, he was the one that coined the term biological radio communications, which is another word for telepathy. I hadn't heard that term before. I had never heard it before either, and it, it's certainly a descriptive term for telepathy. I think telepathy is uh, a handier term, but uh, uh, when you think of think about it, the idea that telepathy is some sort of a wave transmission, like radio, it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely, it does. Rosemary Ellen Guiley is uh, with us for our monthly Paranormal News Roundup. And uh, this one caught my eye. Uh, This is a fascinating story. Actor Rob Lowe, not one of my favorite actors. Uh, However, uh, he has a new TV show. It's kind of an outdoor adventure show with his sons. And recently, uh, he claims he had an up-close encounter. In fact, I think he said at one point he feared that that he was going to be killed. He had an encounter with uh, some sort of, um, well, a Bigfoot. Well, this story uh, really kind of irritates me because <laughs> I don't think there's a whole lot of credibility to it. I, I mean, you know, let's look at the situation here. You've, you've got researchers who spend years out in the field trying to document evidence for Sasquatch, and some of them never, ever have an encounter like uh, the one Rob Lowe described. And here's a Hollywood guy who probably ran out of an uh, acting jobs, and so now he's a paranormal uh, reality TV star, and he runs out with the film crew, and right away he's, uh, he's being uh, attacked by Bigfoot and fearing for his life, and it, it's all great stuff on TV. So um, I don't place much credibility in this, and I think if this is an indication, and I think it is, of the, the nature of the show, it's going to be um, Rob Lowe's version of the mountain monsters with a lot of running and screaming. Uh, now, this this is in the Ozarks, apparently, and their version of Sasquatch they call the Wood Ape. Is it any different than, than um, I mean, this is it's basically a large, bipedal, hairy creature. Is it any different than, than the Sasquatch of the Pacific Northwest, the Wood Ape? Oh, not really. Uh, there are different regional names for Sasquatch and Bigfoot all over the world, and Sasquatch does is a term that comes out of the Northwest, and uh, it's regional, uh, even though it's kind of become a universal term. But uh, we have uh, the skunk ape down in Florida, the Yowies in Australia, the Yetis in uh, the, the Himalayas, and uh, there are variations in terms of description, but uh, they're all pretty um, much the same type of being, creature, uh, tall, hairy, humanoid, um, and um, having certain behavior characteristics. Some of them are uh, rather benign and friendly, and and some are hostile. Um, We have many reports documented throughout the ages of people saying that they've been um, afraid of, these creatures when they've encountered them, or they've even been attacked. And uh, others say that they've developed very friendly, benign relationships that involve a lot of telepathic communication and um, uh, rapport, friendly rapport. 
So the Ozarks, they have their version of uh, Bigfoot as well, and um, I have really have my doubts that Rob Lowe encountered much of anything. Well, here's what he said, Rob Lowe, and the, the program is called The Low Files. It premieres uh, later this summer, August 2nd, on A&E, and he said, We're 100 miles from the nearest town. We spend 45 minutes on the most rugged, brutal mountain trails. It's 1 in the morning. There are a lot of serious former military men with loaded weapons. Then something starts approaching our camps that is defying their orders to stop and their warnings that they were, they were armed. Uh, and he goes on to describe how he was on the ground, lying on the ground, thinking he was going to be killed. Uh, so he said he was absolutely terrified. So it sounds like there are, there are other witnesses there. These are former military men. Uh, so we shall see. We'll have to wait, I guess, for the uh, – the, uh, this is the final – the, uh, the final uh, episode in season one. We'll have to wait till then to, uh, to hear it from Rob Lowe. All right, Rosemary, stay with us. We'll come back and uh, we'll talk about the Marines, U.S. Marines using ESP. We'll also talk about a Brazilian exorcist cult. And uh, maybe time permitting, we'll talk about your recent trip to Australia and some reappearing and disappearing objects. Rosemary Ellen Guiley stays with us. The Conspiracy Show, back in a moment. Stay with us. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Rosemary Ellen Guiley stays with us. I saw this on the, uh, the DailyBeast.com, and they have obtained, uh, via the Freedom of Information Act, the Office of Naval Research's Sense-Making Training Manual, a how-to guide for extrasensory perception. The U.S. Navy's research arm has developed a training program to help Marines weaponize their intuitions in essence, pushing young riflemen to trust their guts in order to, to uh, detect ambushes, spot buried bombs, and know who to trust on chaotic urban battlefields. Rosemary, isn't this an old story? I mean, they were, they were doing the Stanford Research Institute was studying this, and uh, we had um, um, uh, Project Stargate and, and various other uh, military people who came forward and, and announced that they were involved in these, these programs. It certainly sounds like an adjunct to the uh, remote viewing program, although um, that was um, developed with a small group of highly trained individuals who are using clairvoyance for psychic spying. But uh, this is certainly related to that, and it makes a tremendous amount of sense. Um, The thing is, I I think soldiers in the field, uh, as well as law enforcement officers, uh, they've always used their their gut instincts, which is another way of saying their ESP, uh, in high-stress situations uh, where their very lives are at stake. And uh, this may be a training manual to bring that out more. What we don't know was, was this manual ever put into effect? Was it ever actually used in the field, or was it just developed as an idea? I, I don't really see uh, Marines and soldiers um, uh, starting to talk about being psychic, um, but certainly there are ways to, to train them to actually be psychic without using metaphysical terminology. And uh, it's a valuable skill to have. 
uh, when you're uh, out in the field in dangerous situations, you have to be able to sense uh, where the danger is. Uh, and uh, many soldiers have stories about how their gut instincts literally save their lives, and right. that is their psychic ability. It says the Office of Naval Research is, uh, is a four-year, $4 million sense-making initiative launched in 2014. It depends on extracting environmental cues, interpreting their meaning, and then connecting them in a plausible story. So you're right. They're staying away from sort of the metaphysical term terminology. They're not necessarily using terms like ESP or remote viewing or extrasensory perception. They're, they're using the term sense-making and uh, extracting environmental cues. Well, that's, that's what many people think intuition is, for example, a heightened sense of um, smell or a heightened sense of hearing. These, you know, for example, uh, we talk about a woman's intuition. Well, we know that women have um, a heightened sense of smell they have a heightened sense of hearing. For example, a woman can tell the difference between uh, a baby that's crying because it's hungry or a baby that's crying because, uh, you know, it needs its diaper change. These are evolutionary things, right? They've been developed over hundreds of thousands of years. Isn't that all – isn't that possible? That's what ESP is. It's just a heightened – it's heightened sense of, of things like smell and, and hearing and, and so forth. I believe that we are all born with intuition, ESP, and uh, some of us have it in more marked degrees than, than other people, but we all have it. We can all develop it, and you're absolutely right. I think human beings have uh, used this uh, skill uh, throughout uh, history as a mechanism for survival and well-being and um, you know, making the best of, uh, of situations. Uh, and we use it even if we're not aware of it. Um, there was a study done in the 1960s by Douglas Dean, who was a parapsychologist, and uh, it was a survey of corporate executives on the topic of ESP and how they used ESP to be successful in the business world. And uh, none of them used the term psychic or even intuition, but they all talked um, around it and described it by uh, they uh, credited, for example, flying by the seat of their pants or their gut instinct or their hunches uh, as very valuable assets to them in risk taking uh, and make in making decisions. And so that certainly applies to something like a combat situation too. And one of my questions is, well, what took the the uh, Marines and the Navy? So long. Right. Uh, Dr. Richard Allen Miller, who's been on this program uh, several times, very interesting fellow, lives up in, uh, in Oregon, uh, and uh, he contends that he helped develop the, um, the protocols for the, um, the SEALs. Before they were actually the Navy SEALs, there was something he says called the SEAL Corporation, and he developed the, the, the protocols to help turn these, into, the, these SEALs into what we now call super soldiers. But uh, he was talking about, you know, uh, training them to be psychic. So maybe there's some truth to that. That was back in the early 70s. I have to ask you about this. This is a strange one, really over the top, but, uh, I mean, the headline just screamed at me. Uh, it has to do with this secret Catholic exorcist cult in Brazil and uh, the idea that somehow they're making a deal with the devil. What, how, how can you uh, help sort this one out for me, Rosemary? Well, you know, these rumors and stories have circulated for a long time that there are these dark factions and cabals 
within the church and within the Vatican that are involved in secret devil worship. And on the surface, it seems hard to believe that um, right under the noses of the most pious of, of all uh, in, the, in the church could be um, high-ranking individuals who would be um, uh, mastering the dark arts. But there may be some credibility to at least some of it. And uh, I just recently had um, on my own show uh, Stephen Lachance, who is a paranormal author, and he came out with a book this year about the true story behind the exorcist case, the St. Louis exorcism case from 1949 that was the basis for the exorcist book that William Peter Blatty wrote and then the film which I do believe is one of the scariest films of all time. Oh, no question. We're not even allowed to have it in the house. <laughs> but uh, he contends from his own research, and I think he's found some good evidence for it, that when this demon was exercised from the boy, and it was a boy who was afflicted, not a girl, as in the film, that uh, the, this um, demon was not vanquished. It jumped into a priest. And uh, this is well known in demonic possession, that you have to be very careful in expelling uh, these entities, because if they have the opportunity to attach to some, someone else, they will. And the people who are performing the exorcisms are the most vulnerable. So um, Stephen made the case, and I think he's got some good evidence for it, that there was an unnamed priest who participated in these exorcisms uh, who remained unnamed because he was the one who got the demon, either um, sacrificing himself uh, knowingly or he was a victim. Um, but he was, uh, there was a priest from that case who was institutionalized in a mental ward uh, after the case until he died uh, in the 1980s. And the story was that um, the church allowed him to be possessed, did not do anything to uh, remove this entity because they wanted to communicate with the devil and learn more about the demonic realm. And uh, so these stories then, uh, like what we're referring to here tonight, are similar in nature, that there are paranormal experiments and um, communications with um, these dark entities for varying purposes. And uh, I, I believe that there, there might be some credibility to them, um, maybe not in the extreme as uh, we get uh, reported every now and then. I think some of these stories get very exaggerated, but underneath it all, there may be a current of truth. Rosemary, tell us about your radio program. It's Strange Dimensions, and it's on the KGRA Digital Broadcast Network. Uh, it's a year old now. And it runs every Wednesday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern. And how do we, uh, how do we get that? How can we listen in? On KGRARadio.com is the website. And you can tune in live, and then the shows are posted in the archives afterwards. Excellent. All right. Now, uh, we just have a few moments, but you spent part of, uh, I guess, the early, um, early summer or late spring in Australia. And um, I saw a recent posting on your website about some... Uh, experiences with appearing, reappearing, and disappearing objects. You call them jots. Yes, this is a term that was actually coined by an English psychical researcher, Mary Rose Barrington, and jots means just one of those things. 
uh, and it refers to objects that mysteriously disappear uh, for no known reason, and they reappear in some odd location. And um, the story that I had uh, obtained from Australia, from southern Australia, involved um, uh, a man who had uh, musical instruments uh, go mysteriously missing, and uh, they reappeared uh, in a bag that he uh, knew did not contain them. Um, and uh, this is a common kind of activity. I believe it's uh, poltergeists or spirits, little trickster entities uh, that do these things. Uh, this is called a walkabout, and the object kind of goes walkabout, maybe in uh, another dimension. I think that uh, maybe these spirits pinch these things and uh, play with them and then, uh, and then bring them back. And... Uh, uh, there's another kind uh, called the trade-in where uh, your object goes missing and something else uh, reappears in its place where it, it had last been seen. Uh, there are flyaways, objects go, that go missing forever. Uh, and they're very common occurrences. I've collected stories from all over the world, and I have other uh, jot experiences uh, on my website as well. Well, I've I've had uh, similar experiences. I don't know if this was an actual case of just one of those things, a jot. But I, you know, and I, many of us have had this where you've you you're looking for something, you've searched high and low, you look, let's say for example, uh, in a coat pocket, and you've checked it, and you've turned it inside out, and you checked it, and you checked it, and then that object later is to be found in that same coat pocket, and you you know that you searched that pocket. Is that what you're talking okay. about? Exactly. I've had that happen, too. And uh, I don't think it's just absent-mindedness. That's what we tend to blame it on. It's, it's like, oh, well, it must have been there, and I just didn't notice it. Uh, but uh, they, these things happen to too many people in um, strange circumstances to just explain them away as, as absent-mindedness. That's the first natural reaction. But uh, uh, when they reappear in locations that are very strange, uh, that's when you really have to scratch your head. Um, like I had one case where uh, a woman's diamond earrings went missing uh, from her dresser and uh, they reappeared in a sink drain uh, a couple of weeks later. And um, no explanation for, for how they got from location A to location B. And uh, this fellow in Australia, um, he put away his uh, electronic bagpipe and uh, put it in its case. And uh, when he unpacked his bag, the bagpipe was gone. He didn't know what happened to it. And uh, emptied everything out, searched his car, absolutely nowhere. And um, then he takes his or backpack to go shopping. And uh, it was empty. And uh, he put some music in it, and um, uh, when he next looked in the bag, there's his musical instrument, his electronic <laughs> bagpipe in the bag that had been empty. There you go, just one of those things, a jot. All right, we are, uh, we're out of time. Rosemary, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for this. In the meantime, we can listen Wednesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, Strange Dimensions, and that's uh, www.kgrradio.com, kgraradio.com. Thanks, Rosemary. Thank you, Richard. Good night. Good night. Thanks to Ian, Albert, Ryan, all of you for listening at home back next week. Don't forget our big two-hour special on targeted individuals.
Thanks for joining me. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.